Wow. Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 189. Y'all like the wow? Oh, my God. Never done the wow intro before. I like yeah, that, wow. perfectly, that, that perfectly describes yesterday. That just, that perfect. just, ha- that just, we just ended the podcast now. Right. <laughs> that just happened. So long, just folks. Thanks again. for tuning in. This was... <laughs> episode 189 this is the duke basketball report podcast i am jason evans uh, i'm not going to go through the whole hello kind of thing donald wine sam klein thanks for joining me the blue devils have oh my god like <laughs> we we beat unc in well i'll just say it in a game we did not deserve to win not but, in the uh, least not not, a, not even a little bit <laughs> no, no arguments there um but a victory is a victory, and oh, how sweet it is. God, can you imagine being a Carolina fan? Hey, hey, folks, before we get to all that, just really, really, really quickly, um, there's some big changes coming for the DBR podcast. We're going to detail them more down the road a little bit, but we just want you to know, if you are someone who subscribes through SoundCloud, SoundCloud's kind of going away. Sam, can you explain what the hell this is just really quick? Sure. So if you listen to the show on any of the services like uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those. No changes coming. If you listen via SoundCloud on your desktop or through the SoundCloud app or anything like that, uh, be on the lookout for uh, our post about this show, the next episode that'll go up on the DBR page this week and on the or on the forums, anywhere that you read about us, stay in touch with us. Just take a look there. We're going to be migrating to a different service and there's going to be some other changes coming. It only affects the SoundCloud listeners. So um, just if, if you're a SoundCloud listener, be aware and make sure that you follow us to our next destination. You stated that perfectly. Thank you very much, sir. And by the way, that's also, we're going to talk about this a little later on. This, this edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell, the fine business law firm in Texas and Florida. We're going to talk more about them a little later on, but okay time for to get down to business gentlemen uh the blue devils defeat the north carolina tar heels by the score of 98 to 96 in overtime it was just (laughs) (laughs) wow we were down 13 points with four minutes left um you know there have been a million games this year and in recent years where I, i know my duke fan friends have complained about duke's free throw shooting we have no right to ever complain about free throw shooting again because the display that North Carolina put on, I, I feel for them. I can't imagine being a Carolina fan today. It would suck. But let me bring in Donald Wine. Donald, go first. You were out in L.A. watching this game. Actually, Donald, don't go first. I've changed go to my Sam. mind. Sam was, Sam Sam was, was somewhere at better. the game. I'm, I'm saying where Donald is, and I'm like, and Sam was at the game. <laughs> Sam, what was it like to be in if- – if you had done the normal them. intro, you would know that. But, I know, you know. <laughs> I know. I'm too excited. <laughs> I, I, I am. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I'm still, I'm, I'm still coming off all the emotions and and madness of last night. I was at the Dean Dome for the game. It's my second time seeing a basketball game in the Dean Dome, but my first time seeing a Duke UNC game. And let me tell you, as much as we give. Carolina fans crap for the the atmosphere in their house versus our house. It was electric last night. Carolina fans were ready to take down Duke in in an upset. They were ready to see Cole Anthony go off. They were ready to spoil Duke's, you know, return to the top of the ACC regular season standings, which they're still chasing, but still still in second place. Carolina was ready for all of that. They were retiring or, you know, half retiring, whatever, however they do those those half retirements. They were half retiring Joel Berry's number last night. So people were jazzed for that. Tyler Hansborough was in the house. It was it was really happening at in Chapel Hill last night. And for most of the game, as you all know, for most of the game, UNC was totally in control. The fans were were electric and then missing free throws just one after the other down the stretch. Duke clawing back. The stadium was stunned silent at the end of regulation when Trey Jones made the shot, made the shot. Somehow less than silence, extra silence after Wendell Moore tipped in Trey Jones's miss for the buzzer beating victory. More than silence. What a great way to describe it. It (laughs) it was, and, and, and we were, so I was sitting in the, in the upper bowl and surrounded by Carolina fans. I wasn't, you know, and, and the Carolina fans are, they're so polite. 
at least the ones that were that were sitting near me, they were also very polite. So I didn't, you know, there was no rubbing it in. There was no pointing at them or anything. Almost everybody, like I, I shook hands with a couple of people on the way out of the stadium. One, he was a student or about student age, gave me the bird, but everyone else was excessively polite. So, so it's not like you can be like overly excited during it, but it, it was, it was electric. The, the Duke fans who showed up, um, some of them, some of them were kind of loud, but really it was, it was the overwhelming UNC presence and, and the deafening silence at the end of the game that was, that was so incredible. I, I was sitting such that I was closer to where UNC was, was missing all their foul shots at the end of the game. So I just won after the other, and that was happening all right in front of me. And, and you could see the, the sort of slow devastation, especially on Andrew Playtech's face as he missed, I think he missed three big ones down the stretch. Oh, what a killer he for almost, him. He almost airballed one of those. That he was, almost yeah. airballed one of them. Yeah. But Duke, but let's, but hey, <laughs> you want to talk about missed shots. Duke missed a ton of shots in this game and looked, sloppy and wait 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 wait. stop stop we are not we are not we're not not doing that the game yet we're not doing the game yet i want to discuss how we each experienced it you gave us the the stuff you you gave us the carolina the most the mostly silence i was also i was sitting with my father and he likes to and and he would like when something good would happen he just puts up his fist for me to pound it and that's about the level of joy that we were expressing i think i jumped out of my seat like (laughs) two or three times to celebrate something but it was it was I, i am i am an emotional person and it was it was relatively muted for me. Donald, where were you? You were in Los Angeles watching the game. What was that like? I was. So I was planning to go to the Duke SoCal watch party, uh, but I was got I got tied up with work, so I ended up just going down. I, I'm staying here in Manhattan Beach, just going down the road to a bar and watching it. It was on a little TV. They had the XFL on because the LA uh, the LA team was playing. And so I'm watching this game and everyone was kind of like, like, hey, oh, there's a Duke UNC game on. This is kind of interesting. Um, it's funny. Another guy, a Duke class of 06 guy that I knew walked into the bar randomly. Uh, and one of my friends from law school you know, ended up meeting me at the bar to watch the second half. So at the end of regulation, this guy comes over and starts talking to me. He's very hammered. And he's like, oh, what do you think about this game? And I'm like trying to be all polite and saying, look, guy, I'm trying to concentrate on my team here. And at that point, that is when he, that is when Trey Jones hit the shot to send us to overtime. I screamed. The entire bar at that point knew that there was a Duke guy there and that he was very, very happy. (laughs) I was running around the bar high-fiving people I didn't know and people that I did. That's awesome. But when when Trey, at the end of overtime, when Wendell Moore did it, I was kind of – I jumped up, and I was kind of in disbelief because I was like, they're going to wave that off. I'm just celebrating. I'm going to look like an asshole because they're going to wave this off. We're going to go to double overtime. And then when I saw the replay, that's when it all hit, and it was just incredible. Uh, but, guys, eight years to the day after Sub-Zero happened too. Yep. I know UNC fans are just dead this morning. They're they're seeing the number zero in their nightmares forever. So <laughs> so here's how I experienced it. Uh, kind of weird. So my wife and I had theater tickets last night, and you know, I, when you you guys don't know because you're not married. Hey, when you're married, hey, ha- some, hey happy sacrifice. wife, happy life. I know what yes. that is. So we went and saw we saw a, a wonderful play at the Alliance Theater here in Atlanta. It's a it's a very big, you know, big time plays. Um, really enjoyed it. And I was radio silent. Like I literally, like I, I, I turned on my phone. I had 130 messages, text messages from people, but but I did not read a single one of them. I had no idea what had happened. We got home. Uh, uh, my wife went to sleep, and I started watching the game. It was around 11, 11:30. I can't even imagine what this is like. <laughs> I wish I had, I was awake. I wish I'd known this. And that you had said something, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm just going to stay up until Jason gets." Well, I had end. forgotten. I had forgotten that that you were going to be watching on delay because I I think I I texted the two of you and was like, "What, what, what are we doing? What's what's yeah. going on?" And Jason wasn't yeah. looking at anything. I, I was no, I'm serious. Like I had I I had no idea. It was like experiencing it live, which is what you want. That's what type delay is supposed to be. We are in this modern era where we can do this kind of thing. 
But for me, so like the game ends, it's like 2 a.m. <laughs> the game ends. I'm like, I'm literally bouncing off the walls. I'm going insane. I, the dog's chasing me around <laughs> the, the living room. And there was no prayer of going to sleep. No prayer. I, I'm operating on like maybe three hours of sleep. I almost woke up my wife, who does not like basketball, to say, you have to watch this. We would be divorced if I had, so thank God I didn't. But it was it was unbelievable. And, and by the way, the best story of watching the game is Harry Giles and Jabari Parker, who are now teammates in Sacramento. Have you guys seen the video? Oh, There's yeah. Great, There's a great video of the two of them in the Sacramento locker room. It's right before their game. And... You could you could see Harry Giles. Like I, I, it's I, I I'm not clear. I think they're watching the Wendell Moore play. I don't think they're watching. Yeah, they're the watching the end of the throw. game. Yeah, right, exactly. So uh, you you see Harry Giles suddenly stand up, and there's no audio on it, which sucks. But you can see Harry going, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit!" And then that's that's like, why there's no audio on it. <laughs> Harry dives on the floor. I mean, like they are in full celebration mode. It's great. The all of Duke Nation Twitter was going insane. It's it just people dumbfounded, amazed, both at how it went to overtime and then how the overtime ended. Duke wasn't. Duke Duke never led in the whole of regulation. They they yeah, tied we were it up for the three. first time. We were up four to three at one point. That was it. Oh, we we were. I don't even yeah, remember we that. Were, exactly. It seemed they like three it, days ago. They tied it up. They tied it up in like at the buzzer just like in the Austin Rivers game, and then only took like a real lead for any period of time into the overtime period. Mm-hmm. And, and then the overtime's crazy because we take a lead, then Carolina storms back. How many times in that game did you think we had lost? ESPN, when we were down 13 with four minutes to go and Vernon Carey fouled out, ESPN had UNC as a 98.7% favorite to win the game. 98.7%. I, I'm shocked that it's that low. You know I what's funny? You know, you know what's I, funny about I being a, a I thought we, there was no way seen, we'd come back and win. We've seen comebacks like this before. Not not in in all ex- of the exact same detail, but the game last year against Louisville, the UNC game, if you want to go all the way back to the miracle minute, Duke has had comeback wins that they've pieced together just in the last couple minutes of the game. Like they weren't long comebacks. What's funny about that is that it sort of trained me as a fan for the first like 12 minutes of the second half, I was getting more and more depressed because it was like, all right, we started the second half with a nine point deficit. Let's cut that slow in my, you know, the logical part of me is like, let's cut that nine point deficit slowly throughout the game and see if we can tie it up. Right. Get it. Exactly. And, and I think in that, in that stretch, Duke might've gotten it down to like six or five, but then it ballooned back up to nine, 10, 11, up all the way to 13. I was more depressed and, and hopeless with, six, seven, eight minutes left in the game with Duke still down 12 or 13 points than I was with three and a half minutes left because I thought, all right, it's a 12-point comeback. It's a 13-point comeback. We've done this before. I can I can count the possessions. I can see the the missed free throws coming. I can see the steals. I can see the the shots. Like, all of it sort of came into place, and and I knew that I wasn't ready to give up on the game with a minute left because I hadn't put my jacket on. I wasn't ready to go yet. I was like, no, 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 Duke. This is exactly this is exactly where where a Duke team under Mike Shashevsky thrives. They they have that comeback in them. I I can feel it coming. Even though the logical side of me was like, Duke is playing like crap. We are not going to win this game. So the one the one thing that I want to take take us back to is the end of regulation, and we talked about this. And and the and I know you guys saw this when you watched the game. We get down, we get the rebound, uh, and we take the uh, uh, we take the shot. We're now within three. And, I'm sorry, we're within two. And then UNC goes down, and they make one of two free throws to go up three points, and then call a timeout. Roy Williams calls a timeout, and I know you guys know why because flashback to a few games ago where he didn't tell his team to go for to go for the foul up three, and they end up losing right. in up overtime. Three, go for the foul, yeah. So yep. as soon as this happened, someone's like, why would Roy Williams call a timeout? And I was like, oh, they're telling him to foul. That's exactly what he's doing. He's going to spend all, all 60 seconds telling these guys to foul whoever has the ball and send them to the free throw line. While he's doing this, in the other end, Trey Jones is like, okay, 
when I get the ball, I'm going to get fouled. How am I going to do this? And it seems like this was a play that he has practiced a million times because he was he the only he person. Did. He, he is the he only practiced. person. Yeah. He, said, yeah. John, he said that John had told him how to do this and that they practiced it and the ball was going to go. that Because he flings that up there and he immediately starts going toward the place where it ricocheted to. Like, yeah. It's crazy to think that someone could have that as a design play, but he said that John Shire told him take a couple steps to the right so it's not straight on, so it comes off mm -hmm. at an angle. I mean, that's brilliant. John and Shire, full credit, here's the thing. full credit. Yeah, here's the thing, though. Just like every play, just like every play that's drawn up, there's the play and there's the execution. Nobody in that gym, and even John Shire, who probably told him what to do, Nobody knew where that ball was going other than Trey Jones. And Trey Jones looked like he knew as soon as he – because he looked, he sent it like a missile. He didn't like lay – like kind of lay it off the rim. He threw it like he was shooting a gun. And it bounced off with such force that he – but he was the only guy that knew where that ball was going. And because of that, he was able to get his own rebound and make a ridiculous shot that really honestly, if he shoots that ball 99 times out of 100, it's not going good. And, well, and the classic it, version of that is is – you know, taking the ball in one hand and like baseball throwing it at the at the backboard, mm -hmm. right? Which which maybe lets it bounce like back to the middle of the paint where you might be able to go grab it and and perhaps you've given yourself enough force that you can get into the lane faster than everybody else. He did a, a totally different version of it, which was much cleverer, right? Yeah, but here's the thing, even with throwing it off the backboard, it still has to hit the rim. Otherwise it's not considered a shot. So, if, you know, there was times where guys would throw it just like baseball style off the backboard and try to catch it. But now that's considered an illegal free throw attempt and the other team gets the ball. So you still have that factor. And he he knew he had to hit the rim. But also, he had to hit it at the right angle for it to effective. ricochet. Yeah. Well, I mean, because there's right, everybody that's what I said. It, it's not actually that useful. I think it's it, it's more wishful than than useful. Yeah, that was he hit it to a point where he was like, I'm going to hit it. And it's going to I mean, he caught it basically with you know, his foot kind of teetering on the edge of out of bounds. Like, but he caught it on the fly. He knew exactly where that ball was going. And because he did, it set us up for one of the more memorable plays in this history. The thing I love about it is how much Trey took over down the stretch. Uh, he, he scored 15 points in a row, nine in regulation, the first six points of overtime. And in the post game, I mean, this is so great. In the post game, they asked him, hey, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking about? And his answer was, Tyus Stones. He talked about his brother and how his brother had all these great moments, you know, was known as the guy who was the clutch guy down the stretch for Duke. And he was like, you know, doing this is my way of like being part of the, the Stones family, which was which was really great. It was a, it was awesome. And, and also Coach K said in the postgame press conference that during timeouts at the end of regulation and in overtime, Trey was really vocal and Kay was like, Coach K said, I knew it was time for me to step back a little bit and let Trey step forward. And Trey was saying to the guys, hey, trust me, you can count on me. We are going to win this game. And well, Coach and, K said and he clearly, lifted up the spirits. Clearly, you know, we saw some, some stuff come out this week about how tough Coach K was on the team in practice after their recent lackluster performances, particularly the Boston College game. And a bunch of the guys on Duke last night didn't seem like they came with with all the fire necessary. So whatever Co Coach K's motivational tactics that he was employing this week doesn't seem to have stuck with Matthew Hurd or Alex O'Connell or a couple of the guys. So he he probably was looking at the situation and thought, you know what? I've done what I can. I've got one of my captains out there running the team. He's the best player on the floor tonight. Let's just let him you know, guide the, guide the team and, and figure it out. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's an excellent way of putting it. And I think that's entirely accurate about Trey being the best guy on the floor and, and these guys being willing to follow him. I, there are two more things I want to cover. I want to, um, I want to talk really quickly about Wendell Moore. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about, um, about UNC specifically uh, the Carolina team and, and the game that they played, but uh, everyone wants to talk about Wendell Moore's putback. Um, but we only have that shot because of his great tap back on that free throw. I mean, Wendell makes uh, it's by, one of the all time you know, he, hustle plays in 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 Duke history. Yeah. Like he earned for that. He to happen. earned that he tip earned, in, right? Absolutely. No, no question about it. He talked about that he grew up in Charlotte, and 
after the game, he mentioned that he watched this game, the Duke UNC game, his whole life. And he saw all these heroes. He knew all these guys who had became legends by what they did in this game. And for him to have this happen was like a dream beyond a dream, which is just a great story of a Charlotte kid who, you know, like like he said, you know, always imagined that maybe someday this could happen to me and then it happens to him. And by the way, this was the first double-double of Wendell Moore's career. He has 17 points and 10 rebounds. That 10th rebound, <laughs> he got the double-double on the game-winning play. Uh, you know, how fitting, how how great for him. And, and in a game... Know, and in a game where we talked about, Jason, before, when we previewed this game, we talked about UNC's rebounding and how Duke was going to have to match them. Wendell Moore was the one who was the most above and beyond last night in terms of matching UNC's size, even though he's not as big as Brooks, Baycott, those guys. He was in there making a lot of plays with those big guys around him, especially with Carey fouling out of the game. Yeah, we, we talked... We talked- we talked about the rebounding. Duke was out rebounded by nine in this game. And and that was, as you recall, Sam, you asked me, how how does Carolina win this game? What do they do well? And I said, rebounding. Um, and that was almost our downfall. Uh, and then the other thing about it, I, I wanted to come clean. We talked about who the key players would be in this game. I said, Jack White and Matthew Hurt, because Carolina's going to go big and Duke's got to be able to match them. I was wrong, 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 wrong. Jack White, Matthew Hurt combined for 18 total minutes don't really play very much at all in the second half. Coach K, I, I feel like when when the game is on the line, it, uh, Coach K wants to go small. I've seen that from him over the years, and I think we're seeing it, uh, you know, again this season. Um, it wasn't that Matthew, you know, Vernon Carey fouled out. Matthew Hurt didn't foul out. Jack White didn't foul out. Javin Delorier didn't foul out. But down the stretch, none of those guys were playing. And by 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 the way, down the stretch is the final four or five minutes of regulation and the entire overtime. Coach K was playing nothing but wings um, because I think he he's decided with his team he wants to go small. And by the way, one of the thing, other things he's decided, he loves Wendell Moore. I mean, there are there are times that I think Wendell Moore is frustrating to watch. Um, there's frustrating on offense. Yes, that's, I was going to say there's some things he does on offense with the ball in his hands where you kind of go, really? I'm not sure that was the. That was the smartest thing to do. But um, Coach K clearly loves a lot of what Wendell Moore is bringing to the table. Donald, agree? I do agree. And and we challenged him to be better offensively uh, in the last episode, and he was better offensively. But like you said, there are some moments during this game where we're like, like he puts his head down and goes to the basket, and you're like, what are you doing with the ball? But it it seems like in the second half later on, as we were starting to mount the comeback that actually happened – uh, like Sam said, there was times throughout the second half where we just kind of the wall seemed to be the six point deficit. We always get to get to that point and then they would make one or two shots and they'd be back up to 12 points. But when we made that final push, Wendell Moore was very good with the ball. Trey, Trey Jones was very good with the ball. Cassius Stanley had a couple of lay ins where he it seemed like he was gliding through the air and just, you know, head, head and shoulders above everybody else. So it was it was a comedy of errors for the first 38 minutes of the game. But when it comes down to it, the, they found something deep, deep within them, and, and Trey Jones especially did. And again, it was his leadership. It was, uh, it was their tenacity and their, their, the things that they don't have, those intangibles, really came through. And, and really, honestly, at the end, a lot of luck because not, not, many people can say, <laughs> not many people can say that they won a game off of not one but two buzzer beaters involving the same player. That is two, just two, incredible. Two buzzer beaters off of missed free throws. Yes, I mean the exact same thing. The yeah, hardest, re- the the hardest rebounding situation in in basketball is getting your own free throw miss, and, and for us to do it twice is crazy. Hey, just really quick, guys, I, I want to talk about UNC. Full credit. This is a team that has lost many spiritless games this season. They have frankly not played hard, not played like a team not played fast, not played the way that Roy Williams' teams usually do. And last night, they were absolutely 100%. 
the, the, the kind of team that everyone had in the preseason top 10, the kind of team that people thought they would be this whole season. They played incredibly hard. They played really fast. I mean, this team, that, there were a number of times where Duke would score and Carolina would beat us down the floor and score to take those points, essentially take those points away instantly, which is incredibly dispiriting, but it's a very Roy Williams thing to do. Uh, I don't know. If I'm a Carolina fan, you know, Obviously, losing a game like this is just horrifying, but it's almost worse that you sort of know your team is capable of playing this well. Yeah, well, Jason, I was saying real quickly, I think during the game, there were times where I was looking at this game and I was like, which team is second from last in the ACC? Because it's not, it, it doesn't look like us according to the record, but it damn sure isn't this other team. Like they played like they were, vintage unc and this was a vintage duke unc game which yeah I, I think would would just would just be so frustrating if you were a unc fan to see that they put this effort in in a game that you know honestly is not a big game by standard by standings but it the fact that they could put in this effort last night but can't do it the other games of this year uh, has got to be just you know mind-boggling to them there was there was a bit of a trick to it, which is that they were making a lot of mid range shots that were ill advised, and, and Duke was Duke was sort of letting them have them. Duke was was getting you know was playing hard on defense five six feet out from the three point line, and then would sag as UNC would start to drive to to sort of pack the middle and and wait for whatever the follow up was. And Anthony and Playtech, all these guys were making these these crazy shots that I, I don't think Duke expects you know, their opponents to be hitting half of their mid-range shots. But as you pointed out, Donald, they were playing hard. They were, you know, they were, they were doing what was coming to them and it was working. The missing all the free throws is not something you expect out of a team that is otherwise performing at a high level. And, and they weren't letting Duke establish any kind of offense when Duke on offense was, was disjointed. There was a lot of dribbling and a lot of running at the hoop and not a lot of weaving and passing and the kind of stuff that you expect to see from a coach K offense. Yeah, can, can I ask you guys? I mean, the the uh, on the one hand, I feel like I'm not dispirited by us playing a close game against Carolina because I feel like this Carolina team played way way better than they have most of the year. I've seen them play several other games. This was completely different from how they played many other games. But there's a piece of me that's like, look, we had two games this week where offensively, it seems crazy to say in a game where we scored 98 points <laughs> that, that offensively we struggled, but we did struggle on offense against BC. We were terrible on offense. It wasn't clear uh, what Duke's offensive game plan was last night. No, in, no, in, really in scoring not. all those points. And yeah. you want to, you want data on that? We're 23 games into the season after the game last night, Duke's overall Ken Palm efficiency dropped by almost a full point after that game. That's how poorly, you know, the, the, the stats don't know that UNC was taking mid-range shots or, or long twos. It knows that UNC was making a bunch of shots from the floor, and it knows that Duke was missing a bunch of shots. By the way, Ken Palm stats also don't give you any credit for free throw defense. That's not how, that's not how tempo-free statistics work. So mm-hmm. Duke played a lousy game last night, and they, and they well, look worse in the numbers for it. Although it is worth noting that Ken Palm – thinks that Duke was playing a terrible Carolina team. And again, I feel like last night was not that bad. But but the reality is, 2-0, and we've won three in a row on the road, which uh, Duke has not done since 1978-79, to 79, um, to win three consecutive games, no home games in between on the road. That must just be cool. a, a scheduling amazing. That, I mean, like, that's Duke has had lots of good teams with lots of winning streaks. I can't believe that they never had three road games in a row like this. No, well, no, we've well, had them they the have. Last it's years. not common, but like yeah, that, it's not. It's not common that we have three games in a row on the road. But, but every time we've had three games in a row on the road since 1979 to now, we haven't won all three of them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's impressive. That's it, it. It matters. That's that's very impressive. So this edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman at Bird Campbell. And I want to point out something. We, we mentioned at the start that, that we're making some changes here on the DBR podcast. We're going away from SoundCloud. We're going to be going to a, a new podcast network. Uh, again, for most of you, it won't impact things at all. 
In fact, the folks that are probably impacted the most are Bird Campbell, just the nature of our new relationship. We're not going to be able to bring Bird Campbell along. Uh, they have been wonderful, amazing sponsors for a long, long time. And uh, Tucker Bird sent a, sent a note to us. And I just wanted to read that uh, on the air now. This is, this is Bird Campbell's goodbye to the DBR podcast. They, said, they say, and so our sponsorship of the DBR podcast these past few years comes to an end. And no better way to end it than in the warm afterglow of yet another victory over Carolina. It has been our privilege to lend our name and support to this podcast. Bird Campbell's law firm motto is, Bird Campbell means business, but we never sponsored this podcast for the business. We only did it, as the Duke Fight song says, for the love of old DU. These two guys are true blue forever, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, members of the class of 1978. Gentlemen, thanks so much for your ongoing support of the DBR podcast. We wouldn't be where we are today without your help. Um, and we're sad uh, as much as we're excited about what's coming up soon and, and our move to a new podcast network. We are so sad that Bird Campbell will not be joining us on that journey. Um, so farewell, good friends. And thanks so much for all the great memories. It's kind of like, it's kind of like we're leaving the home to go to college. <laughs> So we mentioned that Duke has played three games in a row on the road and won all three of them. Uh, we, we do want to preview the game coming up on Monday. Duke gets back into Cameron for a really, really important game against the Florida State Seminoles, a uh, team that is right alongside us at the very, very top of the ACC. It feels like the winner of this game will have a major leg up on the number one or number two seed in the conference um, along with Louisville. Uh, huge, important game. Donald, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you first. Tell me a little bit about what we should expect from our matchup against the Seminoles, a, a top 10 team. Well, first, I think you kind of undersold it. This, to me, is the game of the season so far because of everything you said, where we were at in the standings, we're both tied. It is going to be one of those games where it's going to be physical. Uh, interior is going to need to be on point. Our rebounding has got to get back on track. Uh, and, and really, it's going to start, you know, for us, it's going to start with Vernon Carey. He, you know, I thought he was great against UNC until he fouled out. Uh, but he's going to need some help on the inside. Matthew Hurt, Jack White, Javin Deloria are going to have to step up because Florida State plays a physical kind of basketball. And it, it shows, you know, that they're going to, you're going to be tired at the end of this game. And for us, Coming off of that mental high that we had last night, we got to now put it away because tomorrow night, Florida State does not care that we played UNC on Saturday night. Um, Devin Vassell and, and Trent Forrest are kind of the guys that they're going to go to uh, a lot, and also MJ Walker. Uh, they're all a bunch of wingers, but really when it comes to their physical wingers too, they these guys can go to the hole, they can shoot, they can they can do everything pretty pretty decently, but it's the way they do it that'll wear you down. That's how Florida State really overcomes their opponents. And when it comes to uh, our guards, you know, Trey Jones and, and uh um, and Jordan Goldwire, when these guys are playing defense, they're gonna they're gonna come right at them. And, and I think the energy is gonna need to be there from the get-go. Cameron has to be on point. These guys have to be ready because Florida State is going to be on a path where the physicality of this game is going to be not necessarily Louisville approaching, but kind of in that realm. So we got to just put our mind to that and make sure that we are ready for it. On offense for us, uh, three-point shooting is going to be great. Uh, it's going to be key because uh, if we can spread the floor out, then they're not the physicality won't matter as much and we'll kind of neutralize it. Uh, but on defense, we really have to – you know, limit them to one shot, make sure that when a shot goes up, that we're putting a body on somebody and, and get down to the, you know, nitty gritty basics of defense. That's kind of what we've been missing the last few games uh, and why kind of some of these games the last, you know, week have been erratic. But this team, no doubt, this is the game of the year when it comes to implications for, like you said, Jason, for the ACC tournament. And even, when, you know, later on, we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament. This is going to be one of those games that they're going to look at when you're considering teams for one or two seats. 
Yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right. Hey, hey Sam, uh, so let me get to you with this question. Uh, so in virtually every game that Duke plays um, this season, Duke has a depth advantage. We play, we play 10 guys, and, and you feel like, oh, there's no one else out there who's really doing that that much. Not so with Florida State. Florida State plays 10, 11 guys every single game, don't they? Yeah, that, that I think is one of the keys for Duke. The, the depth that Duke brings has allowed them to make mistakes. So we talked about how in the UNC game, three or four of the guys really weren't that effective against Carolina. And that ended up, you know, Duke's depth is, is a bit of a mirage when it comes to, yeah, 10 guys will play, but only six or seven are really going to make a big impact. That can't be the case against Florida State. As you said, Jason, Florida State brings 10, 10 11 guys to play, and they don't, they don't rely on you know, their, their key players to do as much as other teams will. The, just look down their stats. The rebounding is, is spread all over the place. The, you know, the leading scorers are only in the, in the low 10s. There's a lot of guys who are getting the ball and scoring. Duke needs to be able to match every single one of them. So look for Duke's depth to, you know, to be just better than it was uh, against Carolina. We can't have three or four guys checking into the game, chucking up bad shots and then getting pulled and and calling that depth. It, it's going to take much more of a team effort against Florida State. And I'm very curious to see, because Coach K has tinkered with the lineup a little bit here the last few days. He inserted Jack White into the starting lineup, although Jordan Goldwire still ended up playing more minutes than White did against UNC. Curious to see how Coach K rejiggers the lineup against a Florida State team that, as Donald noted, is always very physical. So maybe we need more of Jack White, uh, but but we'll kind of see how the how the game is evolving. Expect Jordan Goldwire still to play a lot, but we need contributions from White. We need contributions from Matt Hurt. We need contributions from Alex O'Connell and Joey Baker. All of these guys are going to be necessary to beat the Seminoles. Yeah. So uh, Matthew Hurt is the guy that I, I think could be a, have, could maybe be in an interesting spot for Duke. He only played six minutes against Carolina, picked up four fouls in six minutes. Not, not a, not a good effort on, on his part. Um, and there have been and, other, and, and was taking, was taking bad shots and, and yeah, sort of looked lost in the, he, he was having a, a freshman game on Saturday. Well, and, and there've been other moments this season. I, I, I recall all the way back to the Georgetown game in December. Was it November? I forget. I mean, actually it was November. In November yeah. Yeah, where where it felt like, oh man, man, Matthew Hurt has fallen completely out of the rotation, uh, and then and then came back and had some really big games. Look, we saw we saw Alex O'Connell uh, for a little while looked like he fell completely out of the rotation, came back and had big games. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that Matthew Hurt can turn the best version of Duke. Duke's best team is a team where Matthew Hurt is playing big minutes and scoring the way he can and pre presenting matchup problems the way he can. And the reason I bring up Matthew Hurt against Florida State is this is sort of an unusual Florida State team because they do have two seven-footers, but for the most part, this Florida State team wants to play and and does play a bunch of guys who are between like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and about 6'8". Um, it, it's, it's sort of the classic team of a whole bunch of wings and interchangeable parts, and they all just switch around and, and all that kind of jazz, which is, you know, again, different from what we've usually seen from Leonard Hamilton teams, different from what we've usually seen from Florida State. I think Matthew Hurt may be in a key position for Duke to be able to perhaps take advantage of that a little bit. His ability to stretch the floor... Uh, his ability to be to be a difficult matchup on the inside. If Matthew Hurt is back to being the player he was, it will present problems for Florida State. And, and so I think that could be one of the keys to this game. Um, I'll put it this way. If, if it's a comfortable game for Duke, if Duke wins this game easily, it'll probably be because Matthew Hurt has created such problems for the Florida State Seminoles. That's my prediction for the game. If not, this is another nail-biter and... You know, we're coming down to free throws and stuff down the stretch, probably. So getting away from the world that is only Duke basketball for a brief moment, the NCAA Selection Committee over the weekend released their, I guess you would call it their sample seating, their initial seating. They sort of said, hey, if the season ended today, um, uh, you know, I think it was on I guess it was as of games played by Friday because they didn't really consider 
the Saturday games. If the if the season had ended today, here is how we would seed things. They're just giving everyone a general sense of where things stand at the moment. And, and it's always interesting to look at this. They won't do this again until Selection Sunday. So they have Baylor as the number one overall seed in all of college basketball. Their four number one seeds are Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State. Duke is the number five overall seed. East, which is where we want to be, with San Diego State as our number one. It, uh, uh, San Diego State's the one. Duke's the two. Maryland, the hated Maryland, number three. And Butler is the number four seed in, in our bracket. Uh, Sam, I'll go to you first. Is there anything you saw here that you were like, wait, what is the NCAA selection committee thinking? Uh, or does this make a lot of sense to you? And, and do you think this does this set up well for Duke? I think it does. I, I'm more in the latter camp. I, I don't see this being particularly controversial. It is it is sort of funny. You know, we've seen Baylor and, and San Diego State at the top of the rankings most of the season, but it, it does put it, it sort of emphasizes Sorry, you, the point you that mean they Gonzaga. are that good. Are they, yeah. You mean Gonzaga. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, San Diego well, State sort of a slow rise. Yeah. Yes, but but that but that they're near the top of the rankings. It's really put it into stark focus that these teams are where they are, and that they are probably or or maybe going to be one seeds when it's all said and done. We're used to seeing Gonzaga on the one, two, three lines. We are not used to seeing Baylor and right. San Diego I, State I see there. What you're yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that part of it is pretty cool, and and it's unlike most years where. We think, oh, well, such and such team is the the last number one or the last number two or the last number three. They're getting shipped out west. They get the the short end of the stick because they have to play Gonzaga. Gonzaga isn't even guaranteed to be the number one seed in the west. Uh, they might get pushed out because if San Diego State ends up ahead of them, then then San Diego State's in the in the west and maybe Gonzaga ends up somewhere else. So that's sort of a, a new wrinkle for the rankings. I think the other thing it puts into focus is how in Duke's region, there aren't that many teams. Maryland is is geographically similar to Duke and and should end up, you know, if they get preferential treatment, should end up in the in the same East Regional. But there aren't that many teams at the top of the rankings that are naturally aligned to the East region the way that Duke is, which I think bodes well for the Blue Devils. Hopefully it means that, you know, they can get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, play in New York and not have a hostile crowd. I'm honestly more looking forward to Duke, you know, hopefully staying where they are. Maybe they lose one or two games, but they're still firmly in the in the top 16 and get that first weekend in Greensboro with no UVA fans in sight, no UNC fans in sight. None of those None of those guys are going to be around. That's the that's the part that I think is a is a huge boon for Duke. And of course, if we are looking ahead at an East Regional that features Duke and Maryland, uh, get ready for storylines. Hooray! Mm -hmm. CBS would love that, wouldn't they? Uh, it, it, I, as long as they're as long as they're replaying the the 2001 Final Four game, you know, leading up to that, I'm fine with it. That's cool with me. Well, considered a deal. Um, I, I like the seedings, but here's the other the other interesting thing that I'm looking at when I look at these preliminary rankings or the seedings that they have. They have two number one seeds going to the Big 12 and Baylor in Kansas. It's going to present an interesting option if Kansas loses in the Big 12 tournament to Baylor and, or, or to anybody and Duke or Louisville wins the ACC because I could see a scenario, especially if Duke wins, when they're looking at the, the, the thing, if we win the ACC and Kansas loses in the Big 12, that we could be on that one line. We may not be in the East, and I think that's where maybe it, it would put us in the East just by default because San Diego State is listed as the fourth strongest number one seed. They're the weakest of the one seeds. So they would shift over to the Midwest and we could possibly get the one in the East. But if there's going to be a scenario if Baylor loses, I think these remain relatively the same where both Baylor and Kansas would end up with one seeds and we would still be on that two line, regardless of whether we win the ACC or not. Well, well, ba Baylor and Kansas, by the way, have another regular season game at, at Baylor. Um, and then they presumably, uh, assuming they both win in the Big 12 tournament, will play each other again. The big so so there are a couple opportunities for those two teams to potentially trip up and 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 have have stuff 
you know, fall um, in in weird ways. Two really really quick things I want to mention, and then we can then we can be done with this. Um, first of all, the the committee said that there was a bit of a gap between the number four overall seed, San Diego State, and the number five, Duke. Uh, and and, and I, I think that's probably the case based on based on sort of how recent games have gone and, and the advanced metrics and all these other kind of things. Um, it, it's not crazy to say that the NCAA selection committee could look at these these four number one seeds right now and say, these guys are, are kind of locked in place at the moment. Um, uh, I, I think it may take more than one loss to knock some of these teams off of where they are. Maybe San Diego State, just because they played such a such a weak schedule so far. If they lose a game, they won't stay in that number one seed line. But uh, my, my real point about this is I, I think there's a pretty decent case that Duke will have to win out the rest of the season, including the ACC tournament, to get up to that number one line. Maybe, maybe we could afford one loss. Maybe. But Duke I'm could probably... I, I, Duke can probably afford a road loss if they beat Louisville in the ACC championship. That, as a as a sort of like, if, if the if you have to beat good teams, if Duke beats Florida State on Monday in Cameron, and if they beat Louisville right at the end of the season, just to show that they've they've topped them after having lost to Louisville once already this season, I think that may make the leap for the committee because, as you said, San Diego State doesn't have opportunities like that. But if San Diego State is undefeated, you know, you can't do yeah, anything I, about that. They're going to have to be a one seed. Like, so let's say we lose the game at Virginia. I'm just, you know, looking at the schedule. and where sure. we, uh, uh, Yeah, that that might be the only thing that would be forgivable and would still allow us to get a one seed. Um, so I, I just wanted to point out that, you know, you kind of – there's not a lot Duke's of room margin for is, Duke's margin is very thin if they're, if, if they're still trying to get a number one seed. Exactly. Then the other thing I wanted to mention just really, really quickly – the, the committee, the selection committee this year is chaired, not just a member of the committee, the chair of the committee is Kevin White, the Duke athletic director. Um, and now the, the way the rules work, he leaves the room. If they're talking about Duke, Kevin White is not involved in that conversation, as it should be. Um, but I always feel like, you know, when you've got someone in the committee room, you tend to, you know, they find a way sort of take care of you. you it, it always tends to work out. Oh, that team, things worked out pretty nicely for them. Oh, they happen to have someone, you know, their, their athletic director or something like that is, is part of the committee. And um, I, I feel like, you know, look, I'm not saying that, that any shenanigans are going on, but I, I, I think that things are probably going to work out pretty nicely for Duke unless we really start Jason, losing game. Jason, I sat through, I sat through, two and a half hours last night of UNC fans complaining about the conspiracy of the ACC against Carolina and in favor of Duke as the referees go lean into it, man. Oh my God. Just, just go <laughs> with it. And, and the TV committee Teddy is... was playing last night. Did you see that? Oh my God. TV Teddy. We, we didn't talk. Can we, can we go back for a second? <laughs> Teddy Valentine, wow. Teddy Valentine was, was on one. There was one. He, he did it to Duke a couple times, but there was one play where he called, Duke for a foul, and now I can't remember who it was. He called the foul, and then he just stood staring at the at whoever the player was, like waiting for him to to argue about it before uh, before walking over to the table. My goodness, Ted Valentine has never been in in as big of a mood as he was on Saturday in the he, Dean Dome. He had a couple of plays where he would even like call the out of bounds, like he'd go out of bounds off like you know several people, and he would just demonstratively walk over to the thing. Is like I'm going to review this. I'm not even going to make a call. I'm just going to re- look it over here. Look, it's funny. Look, the man, the man looks good on television, but yeah, but oh boy, does he does he look for the spotlight? But guys, really quick, back to to wrap up the the, the rankings or at least the standings. Um, one final thing, point that I noted, we talked about how, you know, the ACC this year may get only three or four bids. I think they may do a little bit more. Here's why. I'm looking at these top 16 teams and the ACC has three of them. I can't recall a year ever, at least in recent memory, and you guys can correct me if, if there is one, where a, t- a, a conference has had three teams in the top four seeds of the tournament and nothing else. Uh, so I think I mean, that this lines up. If you want to reduce that to, if you want to reduce that to one, it's basically what Gonzaga goes through every year that St. Mary's doesn't make the tournament. I, yeah, but, but I mean like Power Five conferences. But sure, you know, it, it's one of those things where if this is where they're looking right now, 
that could be the tide that rises. Not all the ships, but maybe a couple more. It's going to be Virginia and maybe Syracuse, dude. There, there's no one else. There's no one else. It's just at least that's, getting at four. Least that's five. I think we're getting four bids. We're not going to bother with parting shots. This podcast has gone on long enough, and our parting shot was TV Teddy sucks. Uh, <laughs> we will, however, do uh, our one closing note of player of the week, although, wow, I don't even know why, because I think it's a pretty obvious choice. But, Donald, I'll go to you first. Who are you taking as the player of the week this week for the, this week for the Duke Blue Devils? Uh, I'm going to take TV Teddy. Uh, no, really, I, I'm, it's going to be Trey Isaiah Jones. Uh, because that man, that man became tied or became Trey Stones last night. So, uh, oh, I'm I was going to say that. I was going to oh, say he. Sorry, well, I mean Trey Stones. Oh. He did become, but I will say I will give a shout out to Wendell Moore uh, because Wendell Moore will live on in history as being the guy that tipped in the game winner against UNC. So, shout out to him too. Sam, who you got? If we were doing player of the first half against UNC, I would have taken Vernon Carey. If we were doing player of the final five seconds against UNC, I would take Wendell Moore. But we're doing player of the week. And for the full performance, you got to go with Trey Jones. I mean, he he was doing everything for Duke down the stretch, and he's the reason why uh, Duke was able to pull off that victory in Chapel Hill. Yeah, and do you all even remember... This week includes the Boston College game, and he was unbelievably clutched down the stretch against Boston College as well. So there, it's unanimous. There's no question about it. Trey Stones is the player of the week for the Duke Blue Devils. That's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 189. 189 of these in the books for the DBR podcast. Donald Wine in L.A., thank you so much. Sam Klein in Durham after spending the night in Chapel Hill. That it was quiet was awesome. on Franklin Street. It was very quiet on Franklin Street. <laughs> last night. We like it that way. We like it that way. All right. I am Jason Evans in Atlanta. Uh, this was a, a great, fun episode. I hope you all enjoyed us. Like we said, there are some changes coming to the DBR podcast. Going to make it bigger, better, bolder, all those other wonderful things. But one thing that will always, always be a part of who we are, Duke Band, take us home. Take us home.